Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's Startup Equity Matters, a podcast about how to create value from startup equity. Uh, we're going to unpack stories uh, from capital raising, uh, employee equity, ownership culture, exits and stuff like that. Uh, today's topic is a super interesting one. Uh, we haven't haven't covered this one yet. Uh, it's going to be, I'm, I'm calling it, how, to, how can alternative funding types help grow your equity value? So, you know, we talk a bit about, you know, raising equity capital, but there's lots of ways to fund your startup. And it's important that we, you know, we dig into the different types and help you understand how to fund your company in the best way um, to get the best outcome. So, yeah, excited about today's guests, um, you know, wouldn't maybe go so far as to say uh, legends of the ecosystem. <laughs> sure, they're not going to like me saying that. But anyway, recent award winners as well. Um, and, you know, just real awesome people and people that really care about, about startup space and, and helping uh, entrepreneurs and innovators succeed. Um, and so, yeah, so today we have Matt and Jody from Tractor. Uh, Tractor also close uh, cake partners and we really love working with these guys. So uh, welcome, uh, Jody and Matt. Thanks for having us. Having us. <laughs> this is a, we don't usually do this together. It's usually one or the other. They have a CEO, co-founders, stereo. I don't know. We just say the same thing. <laughs> it's going to be good. We'll see, we'll, I'm going to be judging you both, keeping score. Um, no, it's awesome. It's really cool. Um, you've both got different experiences, come at it from a different place. And um, yeah, really excited for today's topic. Um, so I, I guess I could do the intro, but I won't do it any justice. Um, I think let's chat a bit about Tractor, the vision and mission for Tractor first. Um, love, to, love to hear that. Yeah. Who wants to take that one? All right, I'll do it. Fine. Uh, cool. So, uh, we, so uh, Tractor was born out of you know a, a problem to solve, which I think all best companies are. Um, and the problem to solve was uh, over the time of all my uh, investing into technology and being in the technology industry um, uh, my entire career, um, it became clear to me that not every single company um, should. Uh, not, it's not easy to get capital into growing tech companies if they're not compatible with venture. Um, and the banking system really does understand how a growing tech company behaves. Um, and, you know, a lot of these companies have the ability to put a dollar into their machine and have more than a dollar fall out. Um, and it was become really clear to me when I was working at AWS, which is what I was doing prior to, prior to Tractor, when I used to be able to get access to a whole bunch of um, people using the cloud and, and watching their, their growth through their um, through the, the metrics that used to get Amazon to um, – go out and meet people and founders that are growing these amazing businesses who are, you know, bootstrapped, um, might've been angel backed, um, maybe venture backed, but you know, the question I always had to them, which was, could you use more capital to grow this business? Yes. You know, are you going to do venture either? No, um, that's not for us. You know, can you borrow any money? No, uh, that's also not for us. Um, you know, people could borrow if they had a house, but you know, putting all your risk inside your business and borrowing into your house is probably not the smartest way to do it. So uh, Jody, uh, myself, and April started Tractor. It was on the 1st of December uh, 2020. So we celebrated our third birthday uh, last Friday. Uh, it's the 4th of December today. Uh, so that was the day, that was the day Jody, Jody, Jody joined us. And then we had a, our first um, AFR article on the 10th of December. And then we went on holidays for a month. <laughs> Came back and really, really kicked it off. So, yeah, um, you know, the mission there is to help founders unlock their possibilities. And um, I'd also seen plenty of founders that had sold um, lots of their business to uh, other shareholders uh, and then uh, had gotten themselves into a spot where that was no longer um, able of doing it. It was a really tricky spot for founders. So that's why we started Tractor and what we're here to do. 
And the reason we're called tractor is because um, we really like the analogy with rockets and rockets are exciting and some of them land on the moon and that's the VC model and, you know, we talk about this a lot and it's great for those companies that want to go on that ride. Um, but they're also very expensive. A lot of them blow up along the way and it's um, we've also seen that over our time in the ecosystem and so just sort of being, being able to provide a different path, a tractor pace, you know, a founder-led pace, um, we just thought was, yeah, a nice little had a ring to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. Um, obviously, I've spent a lot of my last six or seven years uh, raising capital, um, doing all this stuff, uh, mostly for Cake, of course, but with other companies and mentoring and advising, you know, hundreds of startups. And, you know, just to add a little bit to this point, you know, there's lots of different types of startup. You know, I feel like sometimes people think it's like, oh, I do venture or I'm no good. And I don't want it to be like that. I don't think it should be like that. Um, venture is a very specific type of funding. Um, but sometimes you could be on the venture path and then you could come off the venture path. And that doesn't mean you've necessarily done anything massively wrong. Um, there's lots of reasons why that can occur. And it could literally just be a timing thing. Like, you know, there's the venture taps turned off this year. Okay, cool. I've still got a good company, whatever. You know, so mm. just so many variables. And um what I love about what you're doing is helping educate the industry and not only educate, but provide, you know, another funding type that helps us as an industry have more opportunity and understand, you know, how to fund and, and grow your company. So it's mm, awesome. Mm. And I mean, I think that's because, you know, early on, that's all there was. Like if you're a startup and you need to grow that, you know, 10 years ago, that's you had VC, you know, there weren't many, a little mm. bit of angel, there wasn't much else. And now we've, we're fortunate enough that the ecosystem's grown so much that options like ours can exist. Totally. Yeah, I don't want to be VC bashing either. Um, you know, they play no. a particular role. Yeah, it's very important. But we need angels and we need family offices and, and we need, you know, I guess we'll get into the specific type of funding and exactly what we're calling it these days as we learn uh, in a minute and, and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think we need these types of companies. We, we need to solve these problems. It helps, you know, society and the economy in so many ways. And so I'm um, just, it's awesome to see the industry um, maturing. And um, so let's dig into a little bit what the funding is and um, what type of companies you know, should be looking to to add this into their their funding backpack or whatever. What do we, what do we call it? No, like, uh, it's, it's add it into the, where, into the shed. Yeah. What are we adding into the shed? <laughs> it's funny because when we started, we were very much educating on um, this type of funding, which we, we launched calling it revenue-based finance. It sort of morphed into alternative capital now um, because we've got some, some plans for some equity style funds different to venture next year and and you know the the product itself you know it's a debt product it's a effectively a business loan um unsecured that founders can tap into um for a specific couple of years so we, we're talking about this as a as a new product on the market so it's you know a new type of funding but now we're very much talking about all the types of fundings and how you know you use different types for different parts you know different things activities in the business and at different times and so our funding is best used for the quicker ROI things like hiring a salesperson that's going to bring in some some new revenue or putting feeding that that marketing machine as Matt mentioned earlier it's those kind of you know you can see there's some revenue just out here if you just fed it fed it with some more cash you could get it in sooner and grow faster um, and then you're not diluting at the same time and so typically companies are doing at least fifty thousand dollars in revenue a month 
before we become useful mm. and then we can lend them between a hundred thousand and a million dollars um and we can keep doing that so it's not a, it's not a one-off opportunity you know the first loan would, would will often lead to, to others yeah i love that so for you know from my experience um we have been doing equity funding so far and you know we've looked at revenue-based funding a couple of times and i'm pretty sure it'll be We'll, we'll definitely, I'm pretty sure we'll do it. You know, the value proposition looks awesome. We haven't quite got the timing, you know, right yet. But, you know, the way you describe it is awesome because just say for argument's sake, you're doing 50K in MRR and um, there's like a rough range, I suppose, on on how much you, you can get in revenue-based finance. But just say for argument's sake, three times, so you're getting 150,000. So sometimes you're like, oh, it's not, it's not enough, you know, like I need to raise a million dollars. I feel like that's the wrong way to think about it. You have to think about it. What is the this iterative thing that I can do with this funding that drives my revenue up, you know? And then, so you might do 150, but then you can do 300 and then you can do 500 because your ARR is increasing and you're not using your equity, so you're not diluting and, and you're really turning that trajectory um, of the company north. Um, so that's that's how I think about it these days. Does that sound about right? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. The, the the size of the loan is a, is relative to your monthly revenue, um, and once we've originated that loan to you, um, and you start paying it back, all our loans are principal interest. Um, you know, uh, some people we do some interest only periods, but ultimately you want to think of it as a, as a fairly standard loan over one to three years, depending on what suits you and what what sort of our credit and risk um, uh, teams say. But ultimately. Um, as Jody mentioned, you, you want to use our money to do the things you already do better or faster, um, as opposed to inventing something new that may or may not work down the line. So, um, you know, we often sit next to um, uh, venture, we, 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 we lend to venture back um, companies who have a job for this money to do. So you always want to sort of come to us going, I've got a job for it to do. And I know that, you know, there'll be a little bit of a dip and then a, and then a rise in revenue. Um and then so every month when, you know, your payments are coming back and your principal amount's going down, but your revenue is going up, to be able to top that back up to where it was or even potentially further than it was if, if you're accelerating quicker, mm. that's a thing that we can do pretty much overnight. So, um, you know, the beautiful part about what we do is when we, um, you know, when a customer comes to us, they apply online, they connect up their accounting platforms like Xero. So we have a we have an access we have access to data, which we use to do a credit and risk assessment, which we also be able to do that again and again and again. So... So far, the average deal size is around $300,000. Most customers borrow 1.4 times from us. So they've taken that money, put it to work. Some time has gone by. They went, yep, we'll top that back up again. We've got, we can keep using that channel, um, which has been you know, really useful for them. Um, we've had several customers that have taken this money, which has bought them enough time to be able to negotiate an equity deal, which is really interesting. Um, I think the other really important factor to, to consider here is speed. You know, having raised a lot of money for your uh, cap table, Jace, that um, it's slow. And you mentioned a minute ago, but I need a million bucks. So if we unpack that statement a little bit and, and sort of put our, put our hat on here, what you're actually saying is it's really fucking slow to raise equity. So I better raise a million bucks because I can't go do it again really quickly. So with, with, I, know, with, I don't want to have to do this again anytime soon because I want to fucking be sane. <laughs> exactly right. So to save your mental state, what you do is you, you, you raise a lot of equity um, because it's slow and it's painful and the funnel's got a very wide top and a very narrow bottom. Um, and, and you sure as hell don't want to be doing that again immediately once you've sort of raised the first lot. Um, so with that, you want to think a bit differently. You want to go, cool, I want to know how much I can get. I want to know how fast I can get it. And I want to take the right amount for me to use now, knowing that I can top it up down the line. Because 
when you borrow, you're committing to returning that principal plus the interest over a period of time, say a couple of years. Um, and ultimately, you are still making your hypothesis on what that money's got to do for your business. So if you can take a smaller amount and, and put it to work and watch what happens and then get more, your confidence levels goes up, your revenue goes up. And if you are a startup that is um, valued on an ARR multiple, then your valuation is going up at the same time while your cap table is staying still because we don't take any equity at all. Um, you know, and we need, you know, we need our we need our money returned to us over whatever period of time we've negotiated this loan. I think it's important to know that, you know, whenever you take OPM, other people's money, uh, you know, you're making a little bit of a, a, a devil with a deal with a devil. You just need to know what their expectations are. And ours are pretty clear. Um, you know, there's none shown. And if you're selling shares to someone, their expectation is they're going to get, you know, depending on where you are in your business, a hundred times, ten times three times their money back over the, over the, the time that they've, you've had their money and grown your business. That's what their expectations are. So, you know, the actual cost of selling equity is quite high when things go well. Obviously, you don't need to service it like you need to service our loan, but you also own less of the business. So, you know, the, all these things compete with each other at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a certain point in time where as a founder, where you've got the revenue flowing, you've got the mechanics in place, and hopefully you've got some metrics in place where you know how to grow your business by sort of putting some money to work, mm. um, where you're like, I'm, I don't want to sell shares right now. I love it. So much there, so much gold. Um, going back to something Jody said, and we've talked about this, we've been on panels before, Jody, where it's like, you've got to have a kind of like a finance strategy. It's like, I will raise yeah. equity. It's like, how am I going to fund my business? And what are the grants going to do, you know, What's your R and D refund? You know what 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 are your grants going to do? Where when should be doing, you know, equity funding? Where and when should you be doing alternative funding? And what are you going to use the money for? And how much effort is that going to take? How distracting is it? Um, and yeah, like one cool thing about what you said there, Matt, was like these things should be really well aligned with that iterative kind of like test and learn and invest way that we kind of really want these businesses to run it's not like raise a huge amount and you're iterating and growing it which is a great mindset for people to have um for their for any type of funding really pack it all up against the wall you know and hope that it works and i don't mean that disrespectfully but i feel like it can be a bit more like that when you get a huge amount of money um and so at least with this way you've got more discipline you know you're making a very clear plan for the use of the funds you're utilizing the funds you're getting the feedback well it's for any type of business i think um the challenge uh, i've seen it many a time having you know invested plenty of equity capital in business across the time is that you can you can run a pretty inefficient business when you've got a lot of capital in the bank and growth is the metric you know crazy growth is the metric that people are looking for you know like you got to remember that um whether you like it or not, when you've got you're on that sort of venture venture growth path, um, you know their business model works best when you can sell shares at a greater price than they bought them at sometime in the next twelve to eighteen months, um, and that keeps going until it stops. You know whether it's it stops successfully because you've sold the company, you've listed the company, um, or it stops unsuccessfully because that that well of capital is dried out. So I mean, I, I think. Capital efficiency is something that um, mm. over the last decade or so, not everybody has thought about. Um, and especially in the frothy years of 2020, 2021, people really weren't thinking about. Mm. But ultimately, um, you know, a business needs to earn more money than it spends. Um, and that to, as we found out this year in 2022, 2023, that relying on the capital markets to continue to fund you when your business spends more money than it earns is risky. Um, you know, and that 
um, you know, course correcting from a hyper growth company, hyper growth, hyper spend company to a consider, you know, to a considered growth company that may not be spending as much money, uh, ironically makes it even harder to raise money because the thing you promised before is no longer true. Uh, you know, and the questions then things like is can you grow? It's like, well, maybe, you know, I don't know yet. So I think, um, you know, if you can get your company to a state where you have part of it, and it's generally not all of it, that can take a dollar and return two or return X where X is greater than one, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a that's a, um, a really good way of thinking about your business where, you know, you don't want to borrow money to hire 10 more devs to build a second product that's going to take a year that may or may not generate money. You probably want to do the things that's already working really well, better or faster. I already took a note and bolded it put a dollar in and have more than $1 fall out. I'll be going back and um, double checking that mentality and another business that I uh, am closely aligned to. <laughs> um, not that we don't think like that at all, but I think it's a cool, it's a cool uh, little reminder. Um, all right. Brilliant. So thanks for digging into that um, for us all. That, that's really interesting. And thanks so much for bringing Tractor to life uh, for the education you do and, you know, helping lead the industry forward and, and you've backed so many companies. Like, let's do a little bit of stats. Like, you've got quite a lot of companies in the portfolio now, right? You've shipped quite yeah. a bit of capital and you're wanting to, like, 10x that at least from what I've been seeing online. Like, what's going on <laughs> we, talk, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> We're at about 160 customers now, founders that we've backed uh, over $60 million out the door. Yeah, our goal is to get that to a billion dollars of funds under management, um, and that would be with debt and equity. So it's pretty aggressive um, goals, but, um, yeah, we're definitely seeing that there's a real need for this type of funding in the mix for tech companies. Exciting. Amazing. Imagine how many more businesses would be in pain without that capital. So fantastic. (laughs) Really happy with that. That's cool. Uh, Right. So... Um, let's move on to a couple of other awesome things that we have for today. Next up, um, oh yeah, no. So what I wanted to chat about, and I've got double CEOs here, so this is a bit more challenging than normal, but also potentially a bit more awesome. Uh, what are the big three things that you're focused on uh, besides Christmas and um, summer? Do you have summer, Victoria? We have great summer in Queensland. Just get that in there while I can. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, th- I actually would. I, I would actually disagree with you. Today. It's like you have a great winter and a pretty hot summer, like a bit almost unbearable summer. So it's too hot. The weekend was yeah. gross. Weekend was gross. I was yeah, talking yeah. to Kim this morning, and he was like, "I don't have aircon, and I just could not live." It was just like <laughs> it was, it's been ridiculous yeah. here last week. Um, and you're right, yeah. it's too hot, but. Um, it's a cross we have to wear. Um, but yeah, what's going on in in uh, in for you guys? What's the big the big few things that you're really really focused on at the moment? I think it's cool for people to hear how CEOs think and what they're into. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I might take that one. Um, so I'm lucky to have a co-CEO of Jodes um, and a COO with April, um, which means the things that we get to focus on on a daily basis really is our like we get to stick to our knitting and. I've got this thing that I've told my team from the beginning is that I genuinely think everyone's only good at one or two things and you get like diminishing returns rapidly after that. So uh, I'm lucky enough to have kind of one job, which is make sure we don't run out of money, which is for a finance company, a full-time job, as it turns out. Um, I don't get the, uh, I don't have to um, uh, worry too much about some of the other parts of the business because I have, we have, besides an awesome team, I also have two co-founders that are uh, very much across that. So I'm, I'm, 
I'm uh, um, luckily pretty well built to raise capital. And as a, as a, um, as a startup ourselves, we have raised money onto our balance sheet um, via equity. Um, and we're backed by some of the best um, family offices and uh, high net worth individuals uh, across Australia and New Zealand, which is pretty exciting to have a, a cap table full of people that um, believe in us and are able to help our portfolio companies. And then um, we are, we're a lender. So we actually have um, wholesale lending. So I now know more about structured debt warehouses than most people in startup land, um, which was something... Well, funnily enough, about three years ago, I had no idea. And I'm like, I'll just, I'll I'll go get some money and lend it to people. Um, And now, as it turns out, we've built a fairly sophisticated um, back end, both from a software perspective and a a legal legal perspective to be able to lend out money that we borrow um, from wholesale lenders and then lend it back out to our customers. So that basically takes up my entire, my entire life. (laughs) I think it's that. I feel like um, you've been quite innovative and you are being quite innovative and finance is an industry that... Say no to a lot of people because their businesses aren't in a state that we can lend to. So we've built a, a business, sorry, a process that that does that consistently for everybody. I may be wrong. It doesn't seem like it wants to innovate itself very much and so creates a bit of opportunity. Um, you know, what, what are some of the innovations that you feel like you've brought through that are um, helping Tractor, you know, succeed? Well, I mean, ultimately, our loans are um, a, a non-asset-backed cash flow loan. So the innovation that we've built is a credit and risk engine that we built from scratch that pulls all the data in from our customers and analyzes it and comes up with what we believe to be a an amount of money we can lend them, assuming they, they are they're good enough to lend to, which we still unfortunately have to. So everybody who applies to track, they're going through the same process. Pull the data out of their um, accounting and billing platforms, and we run it through our algorithms, and it helps our credit and risk team um, uh, look at these businesses, assess them consistently, and then be able to figure out whether we can lend to them. So um, it turns out that in Australia, the banks pretty much suck at unsecured lending. Um, if you've got a house or a car or a jet ski or a dog um, that you're willing to put as collateral, they'll probably give you some money um, eventually, maybe. Uh, so what we've done is we've taken that process, which has been a relatively um, quick iterative process over the last three years and got it down to 24 hours and we'll get it down to instant um, pretty soon as we build it into our software. So, you know, Tractor itself is actually a software company that happens to lend money for two reasons. One, we need the data to drive the software and we the revenue helps us pay the bills and uh, pay for the team. Uh, and therefore, you know, we're, we're, we're in and of ourselves sort of in, in the same state of that, which is as we grow our lending book, the revenue grows with it. We're heading towards cash flow positive ourselves very, very shortly, which is exciting. But yeah, the innovation really comes from the ability to understand a non-tangible asset. Most of these businesses we lend to, there are some hardware companies, but most of them have, um, you know, on their balance sheet, they've got some money, some revenue and some laptops and some IP and that's about it, um, which means if things go wrong, there's not a lot to grab a hold of a lot of the time. Um, and that makes banks nervous. And even APRA, which is the, the, the regulator for banks, have told them to like pull further away from creating products like this. So there is an opportunity for us to keep doing the things we do and use our engine to not only assess customers on the way in, but monitor them the way through, which does two things. If they're going well, it allows us to, you know, work with them to to make sure that we they, they get access to as much capital as they need. And if things are going poorly, sort of get ahead of that. And we've got a whole team dedicated to sort of leaning in, helping them, you know, understand their business and potentially course correct and trade through hard times. 
I absolutely love it. It is a real problem. I've worked in finance for a long time and I've seen how it is. Banks just almost seem totally uh, unable to lend on, on anything other than a home with a full mortgage. And even still, that's getting harder. And it's a huge uh, issue for the economy and innovators and, and business people everywhere. So amazing. I presume as this, I guess, um, credit tool that you've built gets better and better, uh, hopefully it can get used, you know, in as many ways as possible to help, you know, to help, um, I guess, business people everywhere, not to put you up for too much, but um, anyway, it looks like it's got a bit of potential. Hey, Jody, I might yep. throw it to you, um, just, you know, as soon as Matt said, you got one or two things, um, you know, big, big things to focus on. Do you want to share, uh, you know, what you're loving doing and, you know, where you're bringing your superpowers out at Tractor? Yeah, I guess my focus is more um, on building the team and our culture, um, sort of our growth, our marketing engines, um, our ecosystem contributions, kind of all of that piece. Um, so, yeah, I think next year the focus is just on really sharpening what we've been doing. Like, as I said, you know, we started off just, to, you know, talking very broadly about what we're doing and then we've got more specific about the type of capital and where it fits and, and I think next year the focus will be um, just on really you know getting our engine um, really slick and knowing exactly rather than being so broad um, you know we might tour around a bit less and just <laughs> focus on specific areas. I feel yeah bit, bit similar <laughs> bit similar okay <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, I think your brand is extremely well known and, um, you know, your events have been awesome and obviously you work closely with, with Gaz, uh, making a ton of noise all around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <that's> um, <laughs> awesome. Just quieten him down, quieten him down, just a touch awesome next stuff. <laughs> Wrangle him, <laughs> wrangle him. Bit, the <laughs> um, cool, cool, cool. Um, no, look, great to get those insights. So thanks for sharing. Um, Matt, we might move a bit over and dig into a little bit about your, um, I guess, experience in the industry. Um, I think I first met you, I don't know exactly, we had, we had like a coffee in Melbourne one day and I was like, Cape was just starting. And, I, you know, I think you already had a pretty good brand as a high quality angel investor. This is probably five years ago. And um, you've just gone ballistic since then from what I can see. Um, you know, so tell us a bit about your I guess your investing journey mainly. I don't know how far back you want to go, but it'd be awesome to hear a little bit about the other typical investors sort of came and spoke to me. So, you know, the early days, the first the journey overall, and then dig into some of the lessons that you've learned and lessons that we can share for, I guess, mainly on on the founder and the team side of things. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, April uh, and I have um, put our first angel check in. I think 2012 or 2013. So it's over a decade ago now. So it feels like a long time ago. Um, and it obviously has been. Um, and, you know, we got started because I just decided one day that being a founder is hard. Being an investor seems way easier than being a founder. Uh, so, um, well, you got I five start- or eight years until you can be proven wrong with investing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a longer feedback loop. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, so I, I guess being an ex-software developer for most of my career, um, it, it allowed me access to a few deals that um, that my friends who were starting startups that were probably a little a little allergic to going off and speaking to to the first three checks were pin payments, practice ignition, and bill kite, um, which have been three fairly chunky um, uh, businesses in the Australian ecosystem. Pin uh, payments, pin payments. That go on to become up. 
No, uh, yeah, we, yeah. So uh, Don Pym was a founder of Pin uh, along with Grant Bissett. And Grant was a mate of mine uh, out of Perth. Uh, so they sold that. We sold it. We exited out of that um, a couple of years ago. Um, cool. And um, Practice Ignition um, was actually the last thing that I coded as a software developer um, oh. and then took the money that, um, that that guy paid me and put it back in as an investment, um, which has done well. Guys, and then Bill Kite. He's a cake investor. Yeah. Good on you, Guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Guy's also a shareholder in Tractor and, and it was it was interesting. So of those 50 founders or more than 50 founders, but 50 startups that I invested in sort of, you know, we, we started Tractor, obviously. Um, we raised our first round for Tractor before we, we launched in the middle of 2020, uh, in the middle of COVID from my lounge room um, at my standing desk that didn't actually go down. It was like I just stood there for... Of years um and we raised, it was we like raised it was pretty, a desk with a box on it with a box on it or something yeah it was, it, and and these weird sort of these weird fisheye lens that made it look like i was in a spaceship um i've got a uh, bolter box i've got a bolter box that has my uh my monitor yeah. on top of it being a gold coaster um so it was it's been really interesting um so you know those equity positions have all gone on to not all of them um the vast majority was still in play um it allowed me to do a couple of things. It allowed me to um, also, therefore, become an LP in, in some funds. Um, I did some work with Blackbird as a scout down in Melbourne before they had any um, any opportunity, any anyone down here before there was any start, mate, before Nick and the team had moved down here. Really? Um, wow. That's cool. And that also, you, you know, that is- Did you get in the first Blackbird fund? I did not get in the first Blackbird fund. Oh, I got in, <laughs> Yeah, maybe the third one and the fourth one. Um, and cool. then- um, and then, you know, it also allowed me to sort of uh, get my job at Amazon on the startup team, which was really good. But I guess maybe as a as a tidbit of advice from the investing stuff, um, when it comes to angels, uh, you know, I, I speak to a few of these angel groups and everyone's trying to learn how to do it. And it's kind of like my other rule about, you know, good, being good at one or two things. And like I was good at, you know, I was a software guy. So I understood some some complex problems where, you know, when you're pitching to angel investors, quite often you have to go from first principles because you're talking to somebody that doesn't understand the problem. So if you can go and find someone who understands, has an affinity with the problem you're solving and some capital to deploy, then you're more likely to have a more efficient conversation. That's what um, I always say. It's all just get in the right room first and then yeah. everything changes. <laughs> yeah. And and then sort of earning trust over time. Um, you know, I was never a big check. There were tiny checks, but there was lots of them. Um, they got a bit bigger after a little while when I had a few exits along the way and took some money off the table and then sort of calmed back down again. And I don't do very much at all anymore. Like Tractor gets the vast majority of my attention. Um, and that's, that's you know, I'm grateful to have a lot of those investors. that found as I invested in, came back and be a shareholder of Tractor, of which there's a lot of them. And, and into, Let's dig into one thing. I think you'd be really good at helping like founders, which you know, that's my, most of my goal is helping founders be amazing. I think you're kind of the same. And of course the team and and everybody as well, because it's a community. Let's talk about how founders can do a lot with very little capital, you know, and how they can get some really good quality early investors, you know, angel investors normally that that can help them just get that first, maybe six months or year done. How should we tackle it? Maybe, um, you know, how should founders tackle, say, a pre-seed round, in your opinion? You know, who should they be talking to? How much should they raise? What sort of milestones should they be hitting? How, how would you see it? I mean, I guess just how, yeah, how would you tackle that? What's the best yeah. advice you can give? Because for me, it's like raise as little, at the moment, it's raise as little as possible. 
do as much as you possibly can with it. Even if it's super manual. Um, yep. Get as far towards, you know, just hit as many milestones as you possibly can. And you don't really have a choice at the moment anyway because there's so little capital around. How can we yep. founders get that done in the best way? I mean, it's, it's not easy. I don't think it was ever easy, but it certainly um, feels even less easier now. Um, you know, declaring my uh, my slight biases, I'm I'm involved in two pre-seed funds, which is Black Nova and Side Stage. Um, so there are people who will happily write checks into companies that you know barely exist. Would be the best way to describe them: products that are that are that are not certainly out there in people's hands yet. Um, but it was kind of um, <clears throat> being a, an ex-software guy myself is. It's easier to get. It's easy to start proving things sooner rather than later. And I think, um, as much as it's fun to put a deck together and talk about, you know, all the things that you need to put in a deck, um, some sort of evidence that you can actually execute is generally what most Australian investors need. You know, you 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 might have more luck on a on an idea and a and a, and a whim elsewhere. Um, but I genuinely believe that. There's almost no excuse to show that you can um, solve a customer problem. I mean, we still use spreadsheets at Tractor and we're three years in and got $60 million and hundreds and hundreds of deals. Um, so you don't have to build a bunch of stuff to prove that it's going to solve scale problems when really trying to prove that you've got a, a customer problem to solve. Um, I think that I'm um, narrowing the focus. So people, people think that early investors want to see that there's this huge market, but what they actually want to see is that there's a super narrow market who absolutely, you know, will strangle you if you turned your turned your thing off. Um, so, and I think that that works across the board. You know, the fewer people that you appeal to, the the easier you're going to be able to find them. You know, the punchier conversation you can have. That's both on the customer and the investor side, right? It's, they're almost the same tactic, which is reduce the surface area of the problem down, so you can really sort of wrap around it and talk to it tightly, and then hopefully show some sort of evidence that it's not just an idea. I totally, totally agree. One hundred percent. You know, I see so many because I do early stage investing as well through Palm Beach Ventures and mentor and advise and a lot of accelerators and so many startups will try they'll have three different customers that they're working with and there'll be three different segments and and they'll just be a mess and it won't be tight and they're trying to show market size and all that sort of thing. And for me, I totally agree. The smaller you can be, the more focused you can be, definitely having one customer, showing that customer love and one thing that we could maybe agree on as well here is you need to try and find the right investors i think sometimes the wrong investor or or an investor that isn't interested will tell you the wrong give you the wrong feedback it'll be like the market size isn't big enough or they'll just tell you some other feedback and it'll cause you to be really broad again and and just you'll be a big mess now you do need to sometimes like broaden to you know you do need to sometimes like do some experiments to find out who your you know exact customer is going to be i'm not saying don't experiment but Finding a customer, showing that they love what you do and that they're using the thing, even if it's manual and that they're paying you every month and that they're not going away, better investors will appreciate that more. And that's what founders should be optimizing for. And then if you get that right, that could take you through your first couple of years before you need to do the next thing. And your life is so much better in that situation because you have less meetings, you have less noise, you have less mess. Like I remember when Cake finally decided to do startups, which most people thought was absolutely crazy because they have like no money. Um, and we paid a huge price for that because our ARPU was like 30 bucks a month. 
um, you know, but we took off. The company just absolutely took off in almost every way once we did that. Um, so anyway, I guess that's a long way of saying I agree. Um, and then yeah. inside from from my experience. Just on those investors, kind of three types of investors. You've got, you know, really uh, smart money, dumb money, and annoying money. Um, <laughs> the challenge is it's really hard to pull them apart at the beginning and figure out which ones are which. But, um, you know, I, I've heard so many founders say they've got, you've been called up by one of their investors saying, can I have my money back now? And it's like, no, you can't, yeah. you know. And and I think um, yeah, it's tempted to take money from people who don't know stuff um, because you're, it's inversely correlated. The less you know, the more excited you get. Um, you know, um, so that that's a that's a bit of a balance sometimes. Like someone's excited to give you money and they don't know a lot. And if they don't know a lot about what the journey they're about to go on, uh, you know, they're the ones that end up getting up in your face quite often. Yeah, and also doubling down on that, you know, trying to prove a customer problem. Like the best source of funding early on is customer revenue every single time. So that should be always the focus before even looking for, for angels. Especially if you can... Because we, yeah, especially if you can get the right type of revenue. So sometimes you have to kind of almost have like service based revenue. And I think if you can get it, get it, but just realize you, you're like, yeah, term, like you're taking a bit of, you know, you sort of put kicking the can down the road to some degree. And I think it's still important. So you might be taking some non scalable revenue in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. But you're learning. Solve the problem while you're learning. But yeah. you may have to shift your business model at some point along the way. Just be aware yeah. that that little yeah. bit of pain can be coming. But sometimes it's a necessary evil and, and yeah. it actually helps you survive while you're doing the learning. That's right. Yes. And we fund a lot of businesses who have done just that. And they use our funding in the middle of making that transition. Um, so. Instead of putting out these up on the time, usually there's a, a one-year cliff and a three-year vest to get to sort of four years and all that shares that you got issued on the day you started are yours after that. Cool. It's a good yeah. way to do it, yeah. I remember when we had to give up 30K monthly revenue to go back to 30 bucks one month. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but it was all part of the all part of the journey. So I wish everybody well when they when and if they have to do that one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's doable. Awesome insights. Thank you both. Um, so let's talk a bit about, you know, building real value through equity at Tractor now, because you must be generating some unbelievable value. Uh, I don't know exactly, of course, and we don't have to share any numbers here, but wow, like going from zero to getting 60 million out there. And um, I'm sure you're doing like a ton in annual revenue now and growing fast. And that's amazing value creation for everybody involved. So congratulations in that. How do you see that from a strategy? We always say, you know, you've got to have the right culture and the right strategy first to be able to build wealth and build the right team and, and have them really be bought into the journey and, you know, create um, an ownership culture. How, how do you guys see your ownership culture at Tractor and, and how do you look to try and develop that? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been, um, so it's been, it's been three years. We started off um, with what we call a founding team. It was Jody and April and I, but it was also... Um, Kirstie Lance and Darcy um, uh, on that on that that journey with us. So um, everybody's everybody who works at Tractor as a shareholder, everybody gets ESOP, um, and we've done things a bit differently there. Um, we uh, we actually put them on some some financial milestones, um, which we thought was interesting and sort of aligned everybody to have vesting happen at the same time. Um, you know, depending on where you join in the company, they're kind of rolling forward. Uh, which was great and novel and exciting um, with one caveat. Um, we put the numbers way too fucking small. 
Well, we um, thought they were massive. We, we thought they were massive at the time. Um, and it hey, turns look, out that... That's a good problem to have. It is. Well, it is a, it is a good problem to have. And it, it's just like, oh, oh, we didn't expect to be here this quickly. And we were, um, which has been, uh, you know, been great for those, for those employees there. Um, we also did, you know, the right thing, like put 10-year vesting um, exercise terms on them so... You know they don't have to. They don't have to sort of pony up for any capital um, anytime soon, even if they're not with the company anymore. So, like we believe that that aligning. Uh, you know, we sort of talk about three buckets of short-term incentive, medium-term incentive, and long-term incentive. So we have the long-term incentive being the ESOP plan, which you know everybody got everybody goes on that journey, including our shareholders. And the intent is Tractor is a valuable beast uh, in the future. Um, the short-term incentive is everyone's salaries and we do a four-day week. So everyone gets paid the same amount and does four days and we take Fridays off. So that's exciting. And the medium-term one is we have a, um, we have a revenue share. We have a revenue share model with our, with our entire team where we take a portion of revenue and slice it against FTE headcount and allocate that at the end of the financial year. So that's sort of pushing everybody to drive, drive revenue there and sort of get that medium-term incentive to, to get it done right. So, we like to innovate on all these kind of things. Um, I'm very much of the mindset that, you know, um, the generosity mindset is that everybody needs to come along for the journey. And and I wouldn't expect people to, to, to push hard in those four days unless there was some upside in it above and beyond the thing that you could get at any old job. Yeah, awesome. That's what I was going to dig into a little bit there. I mean, it sounds like you've got this almost, you know, it's a real, how would I put it? I don't want to overstate it, but it's like, it's a pretty cool situation, right? You've got a fast growing company. It's four days a week. We've got rev share, we've got equity and, you know, you're really kicking a ton of goals. Um, you know, what, how could you help others, you know, design their businesses to capture some of these, you know, great outcomes? <laughs> Any tips? I mean, I think the thing for us too is we knew this going in that we, we've we all been to this rodeo before, like mm. a few times. <laughs> and so we've got that advantage of that we're, it's quite a senior team and, and often we lean on all the mistakes we've made to make these decisions. And so I think if you're starting out for the first time yourself, it's trying to get at least an advisory board or some of that grey hair amongst you uh, just so that you can avoid some of those potholes that uh, we've fallen into ourselves. So that was part of the yeah. pitch to, I guess, to each other as well as founders. And then any of those guns that you brought in, you're like, hey, we think we're going to go from one to 10 pretty quick here. Let's all get in. And if we if we smash it, then we all we all win. We all get, you know, we're ticking boxes galore. That was kind of a big part of of, of making it work, eh? Yeah. I remember, I remember that when we went to a four-day work week, which was not not too long into the into the whole thing. I think you know we thought we'd run an experiment, but it's it's just stuck. Mm. I remember Jody. Jody was um you know we were working really intensely, and Jody uh, was was the breadwinner, and and um her partner at the time was sort of looking after kids and running the household. And she said to me like, "We're not getting time for myself." And I remember when you know when I was a consultant, um I'm like a lot to achieve at Cake, but well how about I just take a day off? And it's like, you know, you you allocate your time to the business first and then your family second and then probably your partner third and then maybe yourself at the end of it, which just happens in startup land. So we thought that if we got to carve out a day and sort of we're in the lucky position where we don't run a, you know, a highly available, you know, platform or anything like that. Having been a CTO, you know, I've carried a laptop my whole life and been on call. I'm like, I don't do that anymore. What do they call it? So, the five you know, nines. Matt, Matt, these four platforms, they all need five nines or whatever. And you're like, ah. 
every fucking time you went to the movies, your bloody phone would ping. You're like, oh, I'm going to go back out again. Um, anyway, the point being is that we we wanted to build a business that ran on a cadence that allowed us to to put four days worth of worth of you know big work in and then take a day off because you know we don't lend to people that are desperate for our money. We're not a payday lender. We're lending people who are putting it to you know very very specific use. And if an email comes in on a Friday, we'll deal with it on a Monday. And you know the team's set up to do that. And I just think it's one of those things that's hard to come back from. I think most of our people in our team who, if they ever have to go work at five days, they're going to be pretty sad. Yeah, I was going to say, if I ever need a job, I'm probably unhirable in the true sense these days anyway, but if I ever need a job, I'm coming your way. <laughs> and everybody out there, if you're, you know, only, of course, if you're an amazing human, uh, just keep keep an eye out for roles going in fucked up. <laughs> but I think, you know, at that time, there was also just all these reports and companies trialling this productivity effect and it is 100 percent. like we are more productive mm. i think mm. definitely by far than if we did a five-day week yeah i'm sure elon and jcal uh would be upset at us but uh, i'm a big fan too and i'm glad to see you guys uh succeeding with it and congratulations and we normally finish on you know at cake we call it creative healthy lifestyle you know we know we've got we know our team uh everything when it comes to our success and you know um you can create incredibly powerful teams while also really putting the humans first. And um, we see health, our health as a critical pillar in that. And I can tell you're massively connected to this type of thing as well. We've already touched on some of the techniques, so maybe we've covered it. But um, anything to add, I guess, around particularly health and people's health and mental health uh, in relation to tractor success or things that you've seen in the startup industry as a whole yeah i think there's like a mental health pandemic at the moment um we attract to talk about it quite a bit and we i guess we lead with vulnerability too so like we'll often talk about our own mental struggles and we'll share what's going on in our lives um and that creates a bit of a well it does it creates a, a safety and a space for people to be able to share and we're all human and and, and the more that we can talk about these struggles the more I think it just helps so much because it's not it's not just one or two of us. Every single one of us struggles with with stuff. Like <laughs> it's the human yeah. condition. So the more we I can mean, talk about it, recognize it, create space for it, then the healthier we are. Ah, so cool. I've been on I so guess, many panels and so many times I've been like just talking about how just crazy gnarly being a founder has been and how it's brutalized me in so many ways and or not i think it's super important that we share and, and just help normalize it and help each other out like it's a super lonely thing to do and i don't mean that in like a, oh my god you know like it is mm. lonely and it is bloody hard and we need to support each other and we need to talk about it and and then it's totally manageable it is totally yes. manageable. i just we just don't mm. want to see people doing it on their own and not having support yeah. and just just feeling like it's it's not yeah a couple of couple of things for me personally you know i just definitely got like morning routines uh yeah gym and meditation but jodes and i have done a walk together almost every single week for three years um so like co-founder time out of the office Mm. uh, which covers a broad range of all the things Mm. and jodes and april also spend time together once a week you know out of the office and go for lunch Mm. um i think the challenge is, is you've got your co-founders and you're talking about, you know, you end up inevitably talking about work all the time, but a break of scenario, a break of scenario it's also fun, you know, you're walking next to each other, you know, you know, you're not just sort of 
at each other. So you can you can you can bring up topics that that you know that uh, kind of need that little dance to 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 sort of bring them up and talk about them. So you know we look forward to our walks every week when we're not traveling, um, which has been a fair bit. But ultimately, it's what a couple of hours, Jodes, like every yeah. single week, and has and done, in nature so- too, like the natural de-stressor. You know, it's just. Um, we get a lot of creativity out of those conversations. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, we're very similar at CAG. We talk constantly about spending time in nature. If I'm not talking to Kim for any length of time, we always seem to be having a Barney, but it's just because we're not catching up. You're just not getting that human connection. You need human connection. Uh, if you're not getting it, you just, your mind is like such a little trickster. You got to, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Got to switch yeah. that trickster off like just wants to fuck you up crazy you it comes, like, up with, yeah. comes up with some bullshit stories i can tell yeah, you that yeah. it just makes yeah. shit up all the time it's yeah. you gotta like no buddy just take a breather yeah. you know yeah. so just connect uh with each other and connect in nature that's so so important and and you'll also find too whenever you have any darkest day just go back and say I, am i doing the things that i know empower me am i going to the gym first am i meditating first mm. you, you're not doing those things you can't bring your best self to your work your business your startup your family or any of your relationships so always remember that as well so good call out yeah Matt. um look unfortunately i'm going to wrap it right on time um <laughs> respect everybody's uh calendars and i think we've done a wonderful job uh you know two of my favorite people in the industry so grateful to spend a bit of time with you today learn a bit more and and share um some of our lessons and insights with everybody we hope you've enjoyed it and i certainly have get warm and fuzzies uh when i'm hanging out with great people and so you managed to do that for me a couple of times today so i'm very grateful thanks everyone for listening thanks Thanks for having us jason thanks for your support for tractor throughout the last couple of years as well it's been really really meaningful yeah Absolutely love it. Thanks for your support as well. Onwards and upwards. Cool. See you, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye.